Hey everyone, welcome back to Back to the Past, the Ultimate History Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 3 of the podcast. So, I just wanted to let you know that before we start, this episode really, we, okay. I just want to let you guys know, so today is the 30th of August and Gorbachev died earlier today. And me and Nick heard of this, when we heard of this, we just started thinking about... It's more like what, I told you... We were trying to... Yeah, well... We were trying to figure out what kind of episode we want to do with it, and originally we were thinking of more of just a piece in Gorbachev, but we thought, you know, why not talk more about the end of the Cold War? I mean, Gorbachev really had such a big hand in it. So, today, we, like I said, we're going to be talking about the end of the Cold War, not necessarily an alternate history one, it's it's different from my normal episodes, but I feel like, I feel like it's difficult to try to figure out the right alternate history topics, and I'm I we I know we've done a few history episodes be, as well, especially pretty much twenty. Same. I think we should also emphasize this as well is that, yeah, we definitely do understand yeah. that there's a lot of alternate history to, to talk about. But at the same time, though, talking about alternate history for about what four or five seasons, well, not four or five seasons, but about what three years now at this point, it's five seasons going on. We figured why not spice it up a little bit. We kind of already experimented that a little bit in season four, and it's definitely got it's definitely gotten the yeah. It's met our expectations, so I figured at least. With season five, or we were talking about it more so. Season five, we're definitely still going to cover alternate history, but don't be surprised if we definitely do have one of these types of videos. And I think this is kind of our first one we're going to be doing. So, I think especially yeah. with uh, Gorbachev's uh, death today, I think this is a this will be a great opportunity to a new uh, episode. So yeah, we'll get right. we're going to talk about right, exactly. Gorbachev and the end of the Cold War. So it's yeah, it's definitely relevant. News-wise, because, I mean, Gorbachev, even in popular culture today, is still pretty – is not. I don't want to say relevant, but he, if you asked uh, somebody who at least kind of knew about the end of the Cold War, two names would probably come up. Reagan and Gorbachev. Gorbachev, Gorbachev, whatever you want to say. I'm going to say Gorbachev. So, I mean, in order to start for the end of the Cold War, I think that we do have to lay out some of the policies set out beforehand. So I think one of the first key ones we should be touching upon is detente. Wants to take on the Tons. So the detente uh, started around during the 1970s with uh, Richard Nixon, where Richard Nixon tried to relax with the strains with the Soviet Union. Well, that kind of failed after Nixon went out president, and then eventually, you know, going back to Ronald Reagan. I wouldn't exactly was, say it failed, though. I, mean, I, I don't think it's, it's not. Like, I, I wouldn't I, say what it I failed. Know is that, like, I feel like it, it didn't went fail. slightly. I can tell you that right Reagan, now. especially with Reagan's first term, it went slightly backwards with the way he treated like. No, no, no. I, like I said, I wouldn't say it failed because if it wasn't for Reagan, it probably would have still maintained that same exact peaceful stability. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe not. If not for Reagan, maybe if Carter, let's just say, was in. Now we're not doing all the history, but if Carter was definitely in with the like Carter, I believe still continued detente. I mean, if we look at Salt One and Salt Two, which are both uh, nuclear like nuclear weapons, like disarming them in a sense, getting rid of more nuclear weapons in the world, and generally speaking, I think that was pretty much a, a win for both sides i think it started to cool down tensions and I mean, that's kind of the name the taunt it's like a, a freeze in a sense of tensions and that kind of also kind of plays into what one of the other precursor uh things we were going to talk about i was going to mention as well was going to be like the salt treaties and everything because the strategic well, i'm not going to even say what the name is on there because it's way too long for me to remember off the top of my head but the, like the salt treaties for, the salt treaties for example which did limit a lot of these a lot of these dangerous weapons that the United States and the Soviet Union had to use against each other, 
it definitely provided more of a, a freeze. But I think now we should transfer over to the 1980s because th those are just kind of precursor politics. Some of the main precursors I think we should know a little bit about. And we should transfer over to the 1980s. And I think one more thing, actually. I'm going to cut I'm gonna cut myself off here. But definitely one, the one last thing we also have to talk about is the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan during that time period. Because throughout this whole end of the Cold War, the Soviet Union was invading Afghanistan for about 10 years from... 1979 to 1989 and it definitely did cause a lot of strain on their military but it also did cause some tension between the united states i think yeah they did spend they lost a lot of men there a lot of equipment i think a huge monetary cost to an already struggling economy as well yeah I th honestly it's it's more so that the ussr the best way to say it is that us and ussr were both stagnating in the 70s but the us happened to recover in the 80s and the USSR was not was not was still stagnating and declining in a sense as well. Yeah, I mean that's why Ronald Reagan is definitely praised during the nineteen eighties because the economy was stimulating during his presidency. Actually, no. And that's like a whole that's not true. I mean that's a whole debate because some people actually don't think so. Well it, it happened wasn't, during I mean, listen, if you wanna if when I'm, I'm not even talking about Reaganomics, but I'm talking about, for example, when ah oh, fudge, Paul Volcker, that's his name. So Paul Falker, for people who don't know, was the, the chair of the Fed Reserve at the time period. And he, he served throughout the Carter and Reagan administration. And he was actually, he's actually credited with a lot of what brought upon uh, the revival of the United States economy in the 1980s. But this also came with a cost, for example, in 1982, because you said Reagan's economy was always good, regardless of the debate. This is not really debated upon. It's what actually happened. In 1982, Reagan's, during the Reagan administration, the economy had a pretty big recession at least and it was something and i believe in i don't know if inflation was i think it was might have been around eight percent but i know the interest rates were actually at its peak i think it was at 21 22 percent let's just oh say oh my 20 percent interest rate yeah the interest rates were always if wow. I'm correct it was around 20 to 21 percent interest rates off the top of my head i could be throwing that number out of my butt but i'm not gonna be i'm not, i think it is around that i'm more confident about those two numbers 20 to 21 percent I, I definitely, yeah, I mean, definitely going back to like Cold War, definitely um, the end of the Cold War really happened during the beginning of the 1980s with like starting with uh, Ronald Reagan's presidency. And it's, uh, as we all know, Ronald, Ronald Reagan was, I don't know how to word his foreign policy. He was kind of aggressive. Was I think he was very, uh, more than aggressive. I think aggressive. he's very. But he I feel like he was more image, threatening. Right? He kept like this strong yeah. I mean, image. I, 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 I disagree with that. I mean, he was aggressive in terms of his foreign policy. By the way, this oh no doubt. Come, but like, I think it's no, like more I said, like this comes from image. someone who, who like this comes from someone. By the way, who's not a big fan of the left or the right personally. I do lean more one way, but I'm not going to exactly expressly state my political view. But I think in terms of when people glorify Ronald Reagan, at least on the right, this is. Is that when people glorify Ronald Reagan, they tend to ignore the fact that he did a lot. He did a lot in terms of invading foreign countries. I mean, Grenada is a pretty notable example of one he invaded. He also kind of he invaded Lebanon as well, which is another big one. He also got into a pretty big foreign policy affair, the Iran, the Iran Contra affair, which was another big one as well. That that threat that was that could have threatened his presidency right there in the mid '80s, and luckily it was after he got elected. In the Iran there's that as well. So I think when people say Ronald Reagan was not strong, I mean he was a strong 
be strong, but to say he wasn't aggressive was just incorrect in my opinion. No, I'm not saying he wasn't aggressive. Well, you, you, I just felt like he's more did say that though. He was I felt like he was more well, if I did, I, I was I'll take that back my statement. I felt like he's more threatening. He was aggressive, but he also had a very like threatening uh foreign policy where like well, I mean, yeah, you have he to kinda would, like kinda like yeah, it's like Trump. Where you kind of would like intimidate the Soviet Union, and though it would like increase tension back then. Well, like I said, it's almost like kind of like Trump's foreign policy that we saw. Like now, Trump didn't really, in a sense, in, go really invade foreign countries like Reagan did, but he was definitely he definitely did have a presence there. He definitely was aggressive in at least his talk. For example, with North yeah, Korea. you could you could you could say like Reagan was. Uh, aggressive on his threats also i think he was more aggressive than trump personally in terms of his actual what he actually did compared to trump oh yes 100% was I mean, aggressive. Yeah. comparing the wars. foreign policies yes yeah well i know like reagan for example in his first years of the administration like hedge was saying he was very like aggressive very confrontational with the soviets right intervention you know, is my term intervention is yeah i mean he definitely got us involved in places in the name of anti-communism i mean I, mil, I, if I recall correctly, defense spending jumped up se- severely this time during his presidency. Dramatically, not severely. Severely is the wrong word, yeah. <laughs> but uh, dramatically, yeah. Defense spending increased by a lot. And, I mean, and we were using that spending word too. Like, I think our military got involved in more places than did in the previous administration, right? Carter, had, yeah, like Carter's actually the Iran Contra affair. I mean. The Reagan administration continued to fund weapons to the Contras in Nicaragua despite the congressional amendment saying not to. I mean, also as well, I think you want to talk about. I mean, you were talking how he was less, he was more aggressive than his previous president. Carter was actually, probably, I think, the only president post World War II that did not involve himself in any foreign countries, from what I, to my best ability, because he was a, he was rare in terms of his foreign policy. Uh, yeah. I get, when people. When people like make fun of Jimmy Carter because oh he was bad and whatever, but in terms of what he did, I think that he's definitely like a tre- he's definitely like a trendsetter. <laughs> I don't know about trends actually. No, I'm gonna take that part out. But in terms of what he did, I think Jimmy Carter was definitely different than a lot of other presidents. But let's get let's go back onto the Cold War. I think we should then talk now talk, start to talk about the Soviet Union. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the Soviet Union reforms of Glasnost and Perestroika, and obviously this came from Gorbachev because he wanted the Soviet Union uh, working class to be satisfied because he thought, well, our uh, labor is not efficient because our people are not happy. So actually make them happy. So this came from these reforms, and these reforms were actually huge. I'm gonna talk about a little bit on the economic side economic side because for the first time from Lenin's new economic policy that was abolished of collective ownership, they opened somewhat, I'm gonna say somewhat, to collective ownership of businesses of like manufacturing services and even foreign trade. Yeah, which I mean, was the goal of, pretty pretty huge in for Soviet Union. Yeah, continue. The goal of this um Perestroika was really to bring the Soviet Union up to the economic power of the capitalist countries and why reinvent the reinvent the wheel when they can just use it? So essentially, Gorbachev took a book out of the capitalist, a page out of the capitalist nation's books, right? And he started to push the Soviet Union towards more capitalist. It was still obviously government controlled, very government involved, but there was more economic freedoms in a sense, allowing more private enterprise to right try and innovate, try to sell goods to consumers essentially. 
I mean, he decentralized economic controls, for example, and he encouraged enterprises to like you know become self financing and you know not rely on the government as well for being propped up, but rather trigger figure out ways for them to actually be profitable. But going back to Glassnot and the cultural reform, or that or a policy of openness, it was really important because it was an openness to um, Western culture, and obviously, uh, Glassnot allowed freedom of speech so you can express the Western culture. So obviously, openness did what it was supposed to open to the Western world, and it was really important for the Soviet Union to be more open internationally. And honestly, I think Glassnot had a more impact on the Soviet Union international relations because it will impact, you know, the puppet states and how the puppet states also became open to the Western culture and wanted to be a little bit more independent from the Soviet Union. But I think going back to Perestrik, um, you know, finishing this up uh, with Glasnod and Perestrik, I'm going to slander Perestrik, um, if I slander that name, I'm sorry, I'm not good with Russian, but these were two important reforms and they're like interconnected because this was both under the Gorbachev administration yeah. and this really um, changed the Soviet Union, but also had drastic effects during the oh, yeah, Cold like, War. So. I mean, I hate to break, I hate to say it, as much as Glasnost was good for the people, right? When these people live under oppression and fear for so long, and then all of a sudden, right, like these policies start to be stripped away. They're gonna exercise those freedoms like to like an extreme almost. I mean, you can see that in like, for example, Eastern Europe. Immediately after those policies go into place, you have uprisings. These people that were forced into the Soviet Union don't want to be part of the Soviets. And based off these policies, right, Gorbachev. I mean, first of all, he, I don't think he's the type to even send the military in. But even if he wanted to, his own policies state that he can't, right, because this is you know them just practicing their freedom of speech. So essentially, Gorbachev. I mean, as much as it's good. I, there's no denying it. it's important. Freedom of speech, I think, is a one of the most fundamental human rights, right? It's important for people to be able to speak what they want to speak without being oppressed by the government. But this political misstep, in a sense, really, I would say, is one of the biggest things in signing away the Soviet Union. Yeah, you're right, honestly, about it. pretty much what you said there. So I think then we should just move on to actually how the Cold War ended. So obviously, it kind of comes down to, yeah, the Soviet Union ends, but it it really deconstructs in a very interesting way. So first, it's more so the break-off states that actually break apart for the most part. There are some exceptions that really stay there. So uh, so towards the end of the Cold War, a lot of these Soviet breakaway republics, and I'm not even talking about the Soviet satellite states because they would go by 1989-1990. This was around 1991. This is around 1990-1991 when they started breaking apart. The Baltic states, Belarusia, Ukraine, and even the, the stands, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all those areas that were part of the Soviet Union. And I think something as well that was interesting is that uh, yeah, is actually that technically the Soviet Union existed after the Russian Federation was founded. In fact, the Kazakhstan was the last country that was officially part of the Soviet Union. So I don't remember I how long say, it yeah, like If you think of Kazakhstan was the Soviet Union for like almost a day, I think. Well, yeah, because they, they Kazakhstan ended. Kazakhstan was the entire Soviet Union. They ended, they ended on Christmas Day, actually. Not not Kazakhstan, but Russia itself was not, was no longer the Soviet Union on Christmas Day. Actually, that was the last time they were ever the Soviet Union. And I think honestly, if you do, I definitely would recommend watching some of the documentaries around during that time period, like talking about that time period, but talking about the 
the fall of the Soviet Union and the rise of Yeltsin. I think it's, we can't really do much justice for it on here. But I think in general as well, it also, I think also with the collapse of the Soviet Union, it also plays into American politics. And I'm not just talking about not having to worry about this major threat of communism and there being American hegemony for about, say, 20 years, I'd say, like undebated American hegemony for about 20 to 25 years. I think it also affects like the election of 1992, for example, where George Bush, despite there being actually an economy in recession at that point, the main reason why he was even elected in the first place was because of the fact is that he was a foreign policy expert. And obviously, since the Soviet Union, which is a foreign yeah, the policy... the waters would be tricky to navigate. Precisely. It's not, I wouldn't say a foreign policy disaster, but it's something you definitely have to be cautious around. You really don't need the foreign policy this experience anymore. It's more so domestic policy. It's why, for the most part, you kind of just see your really domestic tranquility with Clinton and not with somebody like Bush or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some instances with Clinton where there's not 100% domestic tranquility, but for the most part, the 90s are looked upon as a relatively decent to good area of the United States of America. And I'm not saying it's, and I'm saying it's not thanks to any particular president, although if you want to, if you're partisan, you might say, well, it's Reagan or, oh, it's Clinton. But I think there is some credit to go around to everybody. And I mean, yeah, with the fall of the Soviet Union, I just thought this would be interesting to mention in case they probably know, but like as soon as the Soviet Union fell, I think, I think even before, I think I want to say maybe about 1990 or when, um, built, not built, <laughs> when, um, Gorbachev started opening up the economy. I know that certain Western companies started to get in. McDonald's and Coca-Cola were one of the first companies to go into Russia. So Pepsi had been in Russia, I think, since the early 80s, late 70s, because of the deal they struck with, struck with the government. But as soon as Coca-Cola came in, I just thought it was funny that Pepsi, like, they almost went bankrupt in Russia. Coca-Cola outsold them really quickly. But anyway, that's going to be it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed our different style of talking for today. You know, talking more about history rather than our usual alternate history. I think that we enjoyed spice, spicing it up a bit because alternate history is great don't get me wrong but i i enjoy some variety i think it's nice that we have some variety in our different episodes they're still history related obviously but let us know if you enjoyed the new format because we would love to do every now and then you know more of a historical uh, discussion between us three rather than alternate history make sure to follow our twitter and instagram at back to the past p1 and have a good rest of your day <laughs>